Welcome to the City Church Online. This is where you get all the sermons that you might have missed or you might just want to listen to all over again. Please like, subscribe, remember to share and download this message. Come, let us grow together in Christ. Very good. Let me uh, pray for us and then we're going to, to begin. Lord Jesus, um, I do pray that we would uh, be moved by your uh, forgiveness, uh, what you have done and who you are, and, and um, you are everything for us. And Jesus, I pray that um, all that we worshiped you for this morning will be uh, Come more and more real to us, and we will know the power of your forgiveness in our lives, and that that power would spread from our lives to our families, to our communities, to, to the whole world, Jesus. We want to see you move in, in power, uh, not just in our lives, but in us and through us, and we trust you for this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Pastor Alex says you've been talking about forgiveness, the forgiveness of the Lord. Uh, maybe the greatest idea ever known uh, to humanity, that somebody could forgive us for all the ways we fall short of, of his glory, the one who made us and the one who created us. And the word forgive means to completely give up the right to punish completely give up the right. So it means I have the right to bring discipline and punishment, and I give it up. I take it back. And that, that is what the word means. And in the book of Acts, it says this, Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. My job? Repent. There's one thing I can bring to the formula. My sin, <laughs> my sin, that's all I have to bring is my sin and say, Jesus, I need forgiveness for my sin. And when it's not about, we think so often it's about breaking God's law. It's about breaking God's heart. It's about breaking God's heart, not just breaking God's law. When uh, uh, Pastor Alex said, my daughters are here, they are the white ones over here. In case, in case you're not clear, Mazungus. <laughs> this is Jenna and Jerry. When Jenna was born, new baby, I had two boys. Woo! My two boys are older than my girls. Uh, so my boys were uh, four years old and six year old, and we brought baby Jenna home from the hospital. Little precious baby Princess Jenna, right? The boys, they were tough. We could throw them around. But when we brought home baby Jenna, it's like, ah, this is precious. We have to be very careful, boys. And so all the family was gathered around. We had Jenna in her little crib. And we were all looking at her. And the boys are looking. And we said, be very sweet to your sister. Be very, very sweet. But the boys got a little anxious, and they wanted to play, so they start running around, and they grab their toys, and they had these toy guns, and they're shooting each other, and then, boys, 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 not around little Princess Jenna. 
You go, go, go upstairs, take your toys. So they go up and they run around and they're shooting each other and they're yelling and and then they come downstairs and they're going around and us adults are talking and one of my boys goes to throw something at the other and it slips out of his hand. Boom, baby Jenna right on the head. And she starts crying. And my boy Joshua looks at me and he starts running. <laughs> and I start running. <laughs> and I'm chasing him up the stairs. He's like, Daddy, no, no, no. And he's running. And we get up to his bedroom and he's on his bed. And he's looking at me and he's scared. <laughs> and he starts shaking and he's crying. And he says to me, he says, Daddy, I know I did wrong. Daddy, I need you to spank me. Oh. <laughs> well, now what do I do? <laughs> you need me to. So then I couldn't spank him. I had to remove the punishment because he had repentance. He knew he was wrong. He was crying. He said, Daddy, I hurt my precious sister. And he didn't use these words, but he knew he hurt my heart. And he repented. I didn't want to punish him then. I wanted to hug him. Tell him I loved him. I wanted to give to him. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness in the very word. It says for and give, right? For, what does the for mean? It means God is for us. Yeah? That's what it says in Romans chapter 8. God is for us. And I think we forget. God is not against us. God is for us. And when he sees a heart of repentance, what does he want to do? Give. Because he's for us. I'm for you. I want to give to you. He is for you. Therefore, he wants to give to you. So that's why in the second part of the verse in Acts, so it says, repent, therefore, turn and your sins may be blotted out, forgiven. But then it says this, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So when forgiveness comes, times of refreshing come. And that's what I hope for you this morning is you conclude this series of messages on forgiveness is that you will know and experience the refreshment of the Lord because of his forgiveness. So God is for us. Maybe we say it together. God is for us. Uh, you do it louder for Pastor Alex. What is the secret, Alex? Let's try again. God is for us. God is for us. Maybe your parents forgot you. Maybe teachers neglected you. Maybe your siblings are ashamed of you or your friends abandon you, but God is always for you. And because he's for you, here's what he says, most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for 
He's for us. For God so loved the world, he gave. For God so loved the world, he's for us, so he gave. What did he give us? Here's the most important thing I can tell you. I'm going to give you an example. There was a student in America who was in medical school. Here's the most important thing about forgiveness. He's in medical school, and medical school is very tough to become a doctor. And he's in his first year, and they're going to have an examination. It's the final examination. And the teacher says, on one piece of paper, you can bring one piece of paper into class. And anything you can fit on this paper, you can bring to the exam. So some students, they took their paper home, and they're in very small letters writing everything they can, answers, anything they think might be on the test. And they all bring their paper for the examination. They come in for the examination, and they pull out their paper. And one student, he pulls out his paper, has his paper. He lays it down. You'll be able to see it. He just lays it on the floor, and it's blank. There's nothing on it. Everybody else has their answers on their paper. And he's got his test, and the door opens. And a full-degree doctor walks into the classroom. And he comes over, and he stands on the paper and gives him all the answers. Gets a perfect score. Because it's about a person, not an idea. What did he give us? What did, you, what did God give us when he forgave us? It's the most powerful idea in the world, but it's not an idea. It's a person. It's a person. It's the person Jesus. And that's what he gave. He gave Jesus. We're going into Christmas. He gave Jesus. Jesus came for us. He didn't just come for you. He lived for you. He didn't just live for you. He died for you. He didn't just die for you. He lives for you. He doesn't just live for you. He's coming for you. That's what he gave. He gave Jesus. He gave us Jesus because he's for us. And all I want to do with you this morning is remind you all that he gave us. That what does it mean that he gave us Jesus? That he came for us, that he lived for us that he died for us, that he, he still lives for us, and that he comes for us. So here, here's a simple thing, simple statement. Because I failed, because I failed, Jesus was nailed, and grace prevailed. So here's what I did. I have two problems. Uh, one, I'm old. Old man, gray hair. Two, I'm Mzungu. I can't rap. Where's Ron? Is Ron still here? Ron, can you rap? Ah, uh, I wrote a rap. I wrote a rap. I'll teach you the rap later, okay? Or maybe we'll do it now. We'll see. Okay, so here's the rap that takes all these ideas about Jesus. Whoops, it, it blew away. Hold on. 
All right, Ron, this is going to be your next hit, okay? This is going to be your rap. What does forgiveness entail? I deserve to be jailed because I failed. I railed, I assailed, then I derailed, and I flailed. So all of heaven wailed until Jesus was mailed. Jesus availed, Jesus was nailed, Jesus bailed, Jesus sailed. And because he prevailed, he alone deserves to be hailed. That is forgiveness detailed. <laughs> we'll do a hit together, you and me. Yeah. <laughs> the gospel is all wrapped up in that. That because we failed, Jesus was mailed down to earth. He was nailed to the cross. He prevailed, returned to heaven, and he's coming back. Let's talk about that he came. Jesus came. So we're going to break it into these five parts. I'm just going to remind you of these five. Jesus came. Jesus came for you because he's for you. Uh, when, I'm, when, when my kids were little and uh, we had an upstairs to the house, kind of like Pastor Alex's office over there, so I'm upstairs. Kids would be downstairs. And if the kids were not getting along with each other and they were making too much noise, they're fighting, and I'm trying to study, I would say, kids, you need to be quiet. You need to be quiet. Time to stop. And if they would keep going, I would say this. Don't make me come down there. Don't make me come down there. Meaning, if I have to come down there, you're in trouble. With Jesus, completely the opposite. You want me to come down there. You need me to come down there. And Jesus said, I want... You made me come down here, and I want to come down here because I don't come down here. I don't come down here to punish and condemn you. I come to forgive you. I come to bring you life. John 3, 17, he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save the world. And so whoever believes in him is not condemned but is forgiven. So in Romans 8, chapter 1, one of my favorite verses, if you have come to Jesus, here's what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation. When? Now. Not later. Not when you're good enough. Not if you earn it. Not maybe someday. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation, none, zero. There isn't any that exists. That's why he came. At Christmas, here's a quote somebody said, at Christmas, God moved into a very bad neighborhood and began rehabilitating it. We are the neighborhood. <laughs> he came to us. And said, let me make you new. Let me make you whole. That's our Jesus. But when he came, so he did not come to condemn. He came to live 
the perfect life that I can't live. No matter how hard I try, I can't do it. Somebody had to do it for me. It's not enough just to say you're forgiven. Somehow the justice and the holiness of God had to be quenched. And it's quenched through perfection, through a perfect life. Somebody had to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And so Jesus came in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says this, Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I didn't come to remove the law. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Only one ever who could perfectly fulfill the law. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a dot will pass from this law till it's accomplished. So it's a perfect life. What does perfection entail? Is there such a thing as the perfect spouse, perfect job, perfect life? Nothing on this earth is perfect, right? Everything has flaws. But we try to somehow think, well, but maybe I'm good enough. And how good, how good would good enough be? Here's how we try to work it out. Um, me here. So I could look at myself standing here in Luzira. According to Google, Luzira is 3740 meters above sea level. That's where I stand right now. So I could look at myself, and right now, I'm higher than all of you. <laughs> I am closer to God than anybody in this room, right? Because he's here, and I'm here, and you're there. So I could say, well, I'm doing pretty good. But then, maybe one of you didn't come to church today, and you're on Mount Stanley, Mount Stanley, 5,109 meters above. Uh Uh-oh, you're closer to God than me. I'm not close enough. And we could go on and on, and it would be like if God's on the moon millions of meters away, and we're arguing about who's closer to God when the distance is impossible for any of us to close that gap. So my only hope is if I can trade my life, my record, for somebody else's. It's not enough that Jesus just came for me. He lived for me. He lived the life I couldn't live. The only way I can be forgiven is to say, I believe you came, and I exchange my life for your life. My imperfection for your perfection. 2 Corinthians 5.21. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin. He made him to be sin, the perfect one. So that in him, we, me, you, might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness is perfection. I'm right. I'm right in his eyes because of Jesus. The bottom line is you cannot achieve righteousness. 
you can only receive righteousness. You cannot achieve it. You can only receive it. And if we don't understand that, we will get so tired (laughs) trying to achieve it and measure up. And I can't ever be perfect. And when when I can finally just fall down and say, Jesus, I, I can never be perfect. I exchange my sin for your righteousness. And then because he took my sin, he came for me, he lived for me, and then he had to die for me because he took my sin. And once he took my sin, then he had to die because the penalty of sin is death. So it wasn't enough to just live a perfect life. He had to take my sin and die for me for Romans 5 6 for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die but God shows his love for us and while we were still sinners Christ died for us so he took my sin because he became sin he had the penalty of death and had to die for me. I contribute my sin. That's what I bring. (laughs) So here's my sin. And it goes on Jesus, and he dies for me. And his death is a a penalty. It's penal. It's a penalty. It's substitutionary, and it's atonement. The The debt was so great that while... We humans alone owed it. Only God could pay it. It was so big that even though we owned it, only he could pay it. And he gave himself freely. Why? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was his joy? You want to know what his joy was? I'm looking at it. This is his joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. When Jesus is on the cross, being separated from the Father, being punished for sin, it says the joy set before him is what kept him on the cross. And the joy set before him is you, is me. The joy he gets from seeing many multitudes from many nations come and be right with the Father. That's the joy set before him. You are the joy. And that's why he gladly traded his life. That's why forgiveness is refreshment. It brings him refreshment, joy, to see many come to his kingdom. It brings us refreshment to finally be right with the Father. And he not only loves us, but he enjoys us. That's a powerful idea. It's not just, okay, I'll let you in, I suppose. You're like, I want you in. You're the joy for which I did this. I want you near me. One, one guy I knew, uh, his wife had died, and he was in my church, and his wife had died, and he had a little, little boy. And the little boy was so sad about the mom dying. 
and, and couldn't sleep at night, so I wanted to come into his dad's bed. And he could only sleep at night. He'd get in bed, and he'd say, he'd, he'd grab his dad and turn his dad and say, I need your face towards me. And in the night, he'd wake up and he'd say, Daddy, is your face towards me? That's the posture of Jesus all the time. His face is towards us. He's always towards us. He's always for us. He doesn't endure us. He enjoys us. So he dies. He doesn't deserve to die. He, he came for me. He lived for me. He died for me. And then what? He lives again for me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything hinges on it. It's, it's the authentication that God is saying, yes, you are forgiven. The penalty has been paid. It's been removed. Now, through his life, it says, if we have been united with him in his death, we shall be reunited with him in a resurrection like his. We will never now be alone because he lives. He's with us. I'm going to just read you some verses about his resurrection. Romans 6, 5, we just read that, that we are united to him. The word united means to grow together. It means that you, you grow together, you're fused into one. So the reality is, if you have trusted and believed in Jesus, you have become united to him. When he took your place in death, he also takes your place in life. I receive everything about him. We become one. You can't, it would not matter what else you did. If you have trusted in Jesus, you can't get any closer to him. You are closer than close. You're one. You're one with him. Sometimes we think, I want to get closer to Jesus. It's like, you're as close as can be. You just need to know it. And have our eyes open to it and be reminded. That's why the worship's so powerful. It reminds us we are one. We are one body. We are one with Jesus in every way. The all fear is removed of will I measure up. The next verses say, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, we cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery. There was a man in my church, maybe Pastor Alex knew him, I don't know. So Pastor Alex and Faith, they would come to our church many times on Sundays, come over from Portland uh, for many years. And we had a man in our church this was probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. This man's name was David. And he had two young kids, wife, and found out he had cancer that he could never be healed from. So he knew he was going to die. And he was in my church, loved the Lord, had had a really hard life, had, 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 had done a lot of wild things and would talk to me often and he was about it was about a month before he died and about a month before he died we went out and met together and he he said to me he spent the entire hour we were together for an hour talking about jesus 
and how thankful we are for what he's done for us. And he said this. He said, I just want to know when I stand before God that I'm okay. He knew he was about to die. And I told him, David, when you stand before God, you're not going to be okay. You're going to be perfect. Not okay. You're going to be perfect. You're going to be perfect because he's going to look at Jesus and not you. Because Jesus is alive. Jesus died, but now he lives. So you no longer have to be anxious. And Jesus lives. And what did he do after he lives? So Jesus, here's forgiveness. He's for us, so he gave. He gave Jesus. He gave us a person, not an idea, not a concept, not a teaching, a person. He gives us a person who comes for us, who lives for us, who dies for us, who lives again for us and who's going to come again for us. So Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he went back to the Father, right? It says he ascended back to the Father. Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Let me read you that verse one more time, because this is powerful. For Christ has entered. So he lives. He still lives. The same Jesus, flesh and blood, the one who came for you, our substitute. He has entered in not into holy places made with hands, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God, so right now, Jesus is in the presence of God on our behalf. What's he doing? What's he doing there right now? On my behalf, on your behalf, Jesus now, according to the scriptures, he has one job came to earth, he did all that, went back to heaven. He's in the presence of the Father on my behalf doing what? I'm going to read you three verses. Romans 8, 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. What's his job? What's his occupation? It's to intercede for me, to intercede for you. John 2, uh, 1 John 2, 1, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, know this. We have an advocate with the Father interceding, an advocate, the righteous one, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Why? 
because he always lives. He's resurrected, never to die again. He always lives to intercede for them. That's why he lives. He lives to intercede for us. I'm going to read you a, a, a long quote, but it's really good. The Son of God did not come down here in order to stay, nor did he come down to us in order to slum for 33 years before shedding our skin, our skin and returning to the splendor of heaven. The Lord Jesus descended to us to gather us up and bring us with him to his Father in heaven. He went back still wearing our flesh, in which he had been born, lived, died, and rose. In fact, the Son of God maintains our humanity as clothing for all eternity, which he does not put off. It is his temple, which he does not leave. It is the form which he does not lose. In no way, then, did the ascension signal simply a return to business as usual. Rather, the ascension of Christ is a vital hinge on which the work of the mediator, our redeemer, hangs. So, think about it this way. Here's how I used to think about it. Okay, Jesus came, Jesus died, he resurrected, and then poof, he just disappeared. So here's the difference. Now I believe he's a living, breathing person who right now is looking down on us, a real living, breathing person in the presence of God that has one job, to intercede for me, to intercede for you. Here's what I used to think that meant. What does it mean that he's interceding for me? Probably he's up there praying and say, oh, Father, look at poor Tim. I know he's a poor excuse for a human. He needs so much of your help. Please help him not be such a bad boy. Interceding. That's not what it means. What does it mean that Jesus is my advocate, that he's interceding for me? Here's what I think he's doing as a living, breathing human. He's looking down. He's talking to the Father, and he's saying, don't look at him. Don't look at him. Look at me. I took his place. I stand between him and you. Don't look at him. Look at me. I am the perfect one. I took his place. And day and night, Jesus is saying, don't look at them. Look at me. Look through me. I'm the lamb who covers. I'm the atonement. And when he looks down... What he sees is Jesus. That's, that's what forgiveness is all about. So he gave to you because he's for you. And maybe my favorite thing then about God, so he gives Jesus is it then he says he's a forgetful God. He's a very, very forgetful God. Listen to what he says. This is God the Father. I am he who blots out your transgressions, and I will not remember your sins. He's forgetful God. 
Jeremiah 31, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Hebrews 8, 12, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. Hebrews 10, 17, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. He's a forgetful God. That's another song, Ron. The forgetful God. That he does not remember our sins because Jesus is interceding saying, look at me. Don't look at them. But he calls us, he's a forgetful God, he doesn't remember, he calls us to be a remembering people. He forgets, we remember. He forgets, we remember. He forgets, we remember. Worship helps us remember. You know what helps us remember more than anything else? And it's what Jesus gave to us. He gave us what I like to call the Jesus meal. Communion, the Lord's Supper. What did he say? Do this in remembrance. Do this in remembrance. I'm a forgetful God. I don't remember. But I want you to remember over and over and over. Do this in remembrance of me. And I don't think that just means remember what I did for you. It's remember what I'm doing for you. Sometimes we think we get to communion, all we think about is what he did in the past. Communion is past, that he came for you, he lived for you, he died for you. It's present, that he lives for you now, he's interceding, it's future, he's coming back. It's remember it all. It's remember, because life takes that away from us and we begin to forget that he's real, he's living, he's breathing, he's coming back. And that's why I think Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In that verse is past, present, and future. Remember it all. Remember that it's a person. Forgiveness isn't an idea. It's a person. The forgetful God tells us to remember. And he gives us this special meal as a way to remember him. Martin Luther was one of the famous, most famous Christians of all time. He said this, I preach as though Christ was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is coming back tomorrow. That's how we should live. As though he died yesterday, resurrected today, and he's coming back tomorrow. That's what remembrance means. But it's now. It's real. He's with us. So the verdict of forgiveness has been given. If Jesus is your answer for the test of life, <laughs> he's standing on your paper, <laughs> then you have everything you need. And all we're called to do then is remember it. Remember, 
remember who he is and what he's done, what he is doing and what This audio sermon has been brought to you by The City Church. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us on 0706-332-572 or 0776-579-679.